Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 8. We're also going to dip our toe into uh, Galatians 5. Uh, maybe maybe don't need to turn there, but then uh, Ephesians uh, 5. We'll also be, be looking at a couple of verses there. We're continuing uh, this week in a uh, sermon series that we've had this month. Really flowing out of the idea of the part of Scripture where Jesus comes along and comes along to the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and invites Peter. Actually, Peter asked if he can come out to walk on the water and talking about what it looks like for us to do that, to really have a living faith, not just ideas in our mind or even obedience we uh, try to have in, in our day-to-day life, but where we're really stepping out in some ways that maybe involve risk and uncertainty for the sake of God's purposes and God's kingdom. And we, uh, we looked at that in a general way the first week, and we talked about how uh, vital it is to be in, in prayer, to really pray to God to be able to do that, that we really can't hope to, to live that kind of vibrant faith without uh, prayer and dependence upon God. And then today, we want to look at what is the mechanism, what is the power, what's the engine for us to be able to do that, this idea of the filling of the Holy Spirit, this one who uh, offers to come alongside us and that if we would embrace his help fully, would enable us to uh, be able to live the life that God has for us to in ways that we have not experienced, but that we often do not seek that help. And so we often don't get that help. Take a look at some of these uh, verses that we have for today. Romans chapter uh, 8 is a passage that goes in, into a significant detail on this. It's, it's going to talk here about the flesh. Let's remember that when the Bible talks about the flesh, it's really talking about the sinful nature. It's not talking specifically about the physicality of us. It's talking about that, that element of us which is, uh, is sinful in our nature. So uh, listen to these verses, and then we'll read a couple of others and, and, uh, and dive in, see what the Lord would have us to learn today about how we can walk with the Holy Spirit, have the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Their law means kind of principle rather than a commandment. Principle. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life. And peace for the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. And flipping on back a a little further in the New Testament to Galatians, you'll find that right after 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians chapter 5, just one quick verse there, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And then flipping just probably one or two pages over in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, actually starting in verse 15, says this. Look carefully then how you walk. Okay, it's not just talking about how we how we get around with our feet, how, how your life goes, the pathway of your life, that kind of walk. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Hey, we all want to know that, don't we? What is it? Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are really thankful for your word again today to us, a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet as to how we should walk. And particularly for your word teaching us about uh, the Holy Spirit, the so-called shy person of the Trinity. We ask, uh, Lord, that uh, we would not uh, miss the opportunities that you provide us to have the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives and to walk in the Spirit. Help us to learn what that means Help us to apply it in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Oscar-winning movie, The King's Speech, uh, recounts the powerful story, if you've seen it or are aware of the story, of England's King George VI overcoming a significant and debilitating speech impediment. Although the movie, like uh, all historically based movies, I suppose, takes some liberty with the uh, structure of the particular events and the time frames, the events are clear. In the late 1920s, Prince Albert, who would later become King George VI, uh, struggled mightily to be able to pursue one of the main responsibilities of English royalty at the time, and that is giving public addresses, speaking publicly on behalf and for his country. This uh, became particularly problematic when Prince Albert's father passed away in the mid-1930s, when his older brother uh, abdicated the throne, and as World War II was approaching for Great Britain. Well, Albert had, if you recall from the film, if you saw it, and again, it's a a very good film. It is an R-rated 
film for a brief moment of language, so you don't want to let the kiddos watch uh, that, watch that one, at least off the DVD. But it really is a powerful uh, story. If you've seen it, you remember that Albert had sought help for his stammering and stuttering from various sources, various directions. And most of them had tried to address uh, things on the outside, things physically or mechanically with his speech. But then he meets Lionel Logue. An unconventional spirit, if you will, that uh, comes into his life and has a bit of an unorthodox approach. Uh, One of the things he does is require the king to come out of his palace, come out of the royal sphere and come into his little middle class sphere and meet in his office and come to him to reach out and to seek him in that way. They uh, develop a friendship, and Lionel seeks to address not just the external or mechanical things, but what's going on in the heart. What's driving, what's at the center of, of, of Albert that's driving him to struggle in his identity with speaking? What's at the source of his challenges? And if you remember, they become friends, they comfort one another, they encourage one another, they challenge one another. Lionel's able to play that, that role of coming alongside the king to the point of where uh, by 1939, I believe it was, when he's called upon to give this speech declaring war publicly, he's able to do it. King George is flawlessly. Well, as I watched the movie uh, recently again and, and noted its little subtitle, Find Your Voice. Uh, certainly a postmodern take on, <laughs> on some of the things that were there. It, it resonated with me. And I thought about the work of the Holy Spirit, like that Lionel Logue, to come alongside you and me uh, to in- invite us to enter into his presence and to work in our lives, not just in a surface way, but in a deep way so that we can change, so that we can see change. We might put it this way if you want to uh, summarize it. And you can find a note section in the back of your worship guide that has some of this there if you want to follow along. That we can walk on water, going back to our theme for this month, so we can live out our faith. How? By embracing the power of the Holy Spirit. By embracing the power of the Holy Spirit. I know I don't embrace the power of the Holy Spirit on any regular basis to the degree that I should. I imagine I'm not alone in this room. So there's a lot for us to chew on today in these verses. A lot for us to chew on in this theme. The fact is we need someone to come alongside us to help us with our stuttering and stammering attempts to walk with the Lord, to live out God's kingdom in this world to help us get over the impediments we have to godliness, to loving God and serving others with all our heart. We need some help. And if you're uh, from certain church circles, I guess we should recognize this today. <coughs> if you're from certain church circles, you probably are familiar with a lot of discussion about the Holy Spirit. You say, the shy person of the Trinity, I don't know about the Holy Spirit being shy. We talk about the Holy Spirit all the time growing up and so forth. 
But maybe your understanding of the Holy Spirit is only correlated to a certain areas of spiritual life, certain enthusiasm for uh, the Lord or certain specific manifestations of the spiritual gifts might come from that background. And, and so I want to help us today to see what is the breadth of the biblical teaching about what the Holy Spirit does for us, not just a couple of things that, that the Holy Spirit does sort of externally, but what the Holy Spirit does for the whole package of our salvation. So some of us might be from that background. Others, probably uh, more likely, I imagine, w- would have uh, some understanding about what the Holy Spirit does uh, beyond just a few things or a few external things. Uh, but uh, on the flip side, we, we're not really seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit. So we believe certain things about the Holy Spirit. But if you asked us this week, did you interact or actively seek the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life, you'd say, I, I don't even I know all the stuff about the Holy Spirit. I can tell you different Bible verses about what the Holy Spirit does, but I, I'm not really actively intimate in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So let's try to see if we can look at that today in terms of what some of these passages say, like we saw in Ephesians, about the fact that we ought to be Seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit all the time. That ought to be a powerful dynamic in the life of each one of us as believers. First thing we want to take a look at is just kind of the general role of the Holy Spirit. We actually saw this in the verses we read earlier for our assurance of pardon. You can find it right there in your worship guide if you want to. Uh, Titus 3, 5 talks about the fact that we're saved not because of the righteous things that uh, we have done, But by the mercy of God, how does that mercy come to us that is through the washing of regeneration and the renewal by who? The Holy Spirit. So our salvation comes from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.25, we saw that we're called to live out our lives. So our sanctification, what we call about walking in righteousness daily is meant to be by the Spirit. We'll come back to that later. John uh, uh, 6.63, you can turn there if you want to. John 6.63, Jesus is speaking about this and he says that the Spirit gives us life. He says, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So the the life that we have, the eternal life that we have, comes through the Spirit and through the Word. Uh, We won't turn to all these passages. We just read one of them in Romans chapter 8. The indwelling of the Spirit. So the Spirit actually uh, comes into each one of our lives. If we've surrendered to Christ, turned to Him in faith and repentance, that Spirit is actually dwelling within each of us. So it's a weird thing because we're asking for him to fill us like he's you know, coming from outside, but he's really working. For, it's an internal job, I guess you might say, pouring out into us from from inside. And then lastly, we see that the spirit allows us to have our union with Christ. First Corinthians 12 speaks to that. I, I, I like that picture of union with Christ. And it's one that that uh, we probably don't think about enough. I, I don't know how many of you remember field day. You know, who remembers field day at school? When you got out there, I forget what they, they call it today. They've got something different they call it uh, for the kids at school. But, but one of the things you always did at field day, or maybe at a, a church picnic or a fun family event or reunion or something growing up, you got out there and you remember the old three-legged race. But remember the three-legged race? I mean, that's just fun. I mean, it's just fun to get out there and be crazy and, and, and so forth. But you were, you were tandem with somebody else. 
Okay, and that that person you're linked up with, that's it's important. You got to be connected up. If you're going to do the three legged race, and you remember, you'd you'd have some you know old sheets or rags or something, some kind of deal to strap your leg uh, on to that other person's leg so that you can walk together in step. Well, maybe it's a crass way to think about the Holy Spirit, but you know me, and if this is Jesus next to me, my my three legged race. Uh, partner, if you will, uh, the Holy Spirit is those straps that affix us, give us that union with Christ, attach us to him so that we can walk each day in that three legged race of the gospel life. So that's the role of the Holy Spirit. Generally, uh, look at the mosaic, if you will, of just salvation itself. So let's let's unpack just that part of it and see how the Holy Spirit is involved. We might think uh, of salvation. Well, the father does this work and the son does this work. And I guess the spirit's around somewhere. I guess maybe he's around somewhere. Look, look at all the ways that the spirit is involved in your life and mine for us to have salvation. John three, verse five, back in that conversation, Jesus is having with Nicodemus. And he says, the wind blows where it, where it wills. And you've got to be born again. You have to have a change internally. It says no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water. You understand what that's speaking about? If you're familiar with birth, you know, the birthing process, the breaking of the water. Unless you're born of water, have a natural birth, and then born of the spirit, have a spiritual birth, you can't be born again. You can't have regeneration, a new work in our lives. Repentance and faith are two opposite sides of the coin of what we'd call conversion. Acts chapter 11 talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit comes and grants them repentance to life. Did you ever think about that? If you have come to a place in your life of saying, I want to turn from the way I'm going and have faith in God and have a relationship with God through Christ. If you've come to that place, it's because the Holy Spirit granted you the gift of repentance. Faith, 1 Corinthians twelve three. no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You and I don't profess our faith without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's got to be at work there. Our assurance, later on in Romans 8, the passages we just read, it says the, the Spirit, listen to this, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Right? The picture is sort of going into a courtroom and you need somebody to substantiate what's going on. And our voice, your voice, my voice is one, you know, witness to say, yeah, uh, the salvation is happening in my life. And this reminds us that the Holy Spirit is a second, obviously more substantial, more significant voice to speak and say and bear witness to that same work of God. That's going on to give us assurance justification. We're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. It says adoption. We just saw that in the passage, even our perseverance. It says that the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter one is a deposit. Okay, Uh, maybe some of us have in here probably gone through the process of buying a house or purchasing some other large purchase. And they want you to do something when when they want to see if you're really serious about getting it right in that time span between when you get the contract going and when you actually close on whatever you're buying. And and it's called we call it earnest money. You're in earnest. That's the picture here. It's like a deposit. The Holy Spirit is saying that this thing is set. This is happening. This person does belong to God and will persevere in the faith. 
We could talk for a little bit as well about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I know we touched on that last semester. We went through 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 all the way through 14 and Romans 12. We could talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the way our character can be changed by the Spirit. All of these are ways that the Spirit's working in our lives. But what I want to do is is really focus in on this idea of the filling of the Spirit. Okay, so we've got all that background. I just backed up the truck and dumped all of those verses for us to to have us really see all the ways the Spirit's at work. But it's a little bit like this. The uh, Civil War of battlefields, folks that that go back and look at those old battlefields and and so forth and find different uh, cannons and different... uh, battlefield uh, settings for those old battlefields, they, they, they find some interesting things when they go and search. Uh, some of the old uh, rifles that they find, uh, the sort of powder rifles that they had to, to load manually each round down into and put the powder in and so forth as they were, were fighting those uh, ferocious battles of the Civil War, they find something interesting about a lot of the muskets, a lot of the rifles that they find. They find that sometimes they were... Three, four, six, ten rounds of ammunition, the, the, the balls, the mini ball, the bullet, jammed down in each of the barrels. And what they discovered, and they've studied military people have later on, that although the soldiers were highly trained in being able to rapidly reload the weapon, they understood how their weapon worked, they understood what it was supposed to do, they, they understood the process and could do it quickly, they often failed To do one important thing, actually pull the trigger. They would aim and not actually fire and then load another round right down on top of the other one. And guess what happens then? Even if you try to fire, it doesn't work. I think maybe we're a little bit that way with the Holy Spirit, too, because we probably know some of the stuff that I just mentioned to you or have an idea that the Holy Spirit's at work. If you're like me, you're pretty good at loading that, understanding the process of loading that ammunition, but not so good at actually aiming and pulling that trigger to say, God, I want the Holy Spirit to work in my life, to lead and direct me. I'm not very, very good at that, at walking that. It leads me into a place sometimes of uncertainty. It leads me out of the boat onto the water, which is uncomfortable. And so I think sometimes... Uh, We're like that with the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about the feeling of the Holy Spirit. Let me set the stage for just a moment with some context. I I really like a lot that uh, one of the British pastors and writers of the uh, 1960s, 70s, 80s, Martin Lloyd-Jones, writes. I really like to look into some of what what he has to say, and I've got some of his commentaries and so it was kind of a kind of a Tim Keller, kind of a John Piper of that time for that that place, if you will. And so I've read a, a good bit about what he's written. He's got a, bo- a book called Joy Unspeakable that's about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because I actually uh, disagree, and I'm not alone in this. There's other other people way smarter and more careful thinking than, than I am that disagree. I actually disagree with the fact that he, of the way he understands the Holy Spirit. 
And he doesn't really take the, the filling of the Holy Spirit in kind of a, what we call a charismatic or Pentecostal direction in that he doesn't say that you're going to have certain speaking in tongues or manifestations if you've got the Holy Spirit. That may be kind of what we associate with the filling of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't go that direction. And he, and he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't also say that the Holy Spirit's going to somehow, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's just this point in time thing. And all of a sudden, you're already a Christian, but then at a later point, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you become this certain perfect character person automatically. He doesn't go that direction with it. But he does argue that this, this Holy Spirit is, uh, this filling of the, the Holy Spirit is kind of this point in time thing. And, 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 and what, I, what I like, though, about him is that he reminds us that we ought to be seeking that Holy Spirit. And he says a couple of things. He pointed out the dynamic in his own time. And that is that there were churches that were caught up in sort of dead orthodoxy, knew all the right things, but had very little vibrancy to their Christian faith, very little energy and enthusiasm or vision to live out their Christian life and whole churches like that. This was the 1960s and 70s in England. And he said, you know, these people... However, we want to understand this feeling of the Holy Spirit. These people need God's spirit to come in and give enliven them, give them uh, zeal to live out the Christian life. And he recognized on the contrast, there was another group of folks that had a great deal of enthusiasm about spiritual matters, a great deal of energy and maybe even a, a celebratory focus to their walk with God, but lacked much content to really know what that would mean. To really understand and know the depth of who the Holy Spirit was. And I think we see that in our own time. I dare say we see that in our own city. That contrast. And I don't know where you are on those things. But I think we need some help. To hold both of those things together. Right understanding. Right teaching. That we're deeply rooted in. And and grasp the doctrines of the scripture. And right engagement with the Lord. And zeal and enthusiasm for his purposes and his work in our life and in our community. Uh, Anthony Hokema, who uh, writes a fantastic book, Saved, uh, Saved by Grace, I think it's called. He says this, the fact, however, is that all Christians have been baptized with the spirit does not mean that they are always fully yielded to the spirit or are always filled with the spirit. So I would contend clearly and emphatically that if you are in Christ today, if you come to tr- true salvation, then you get, you've, you've got the Spirit in your life. You've been baptized by the Spirit. The Spirit's at work in your life and in mine. The problem isn't uh, some additional step we need to take. The problem is we need to seek and pull the trigger on what we already have available to us and allow ourselves to, to know the Lord in that deeper way by regular filling. You can look at the Scriptures and see this in the book of Acts. We won't go through all, all through these passages but the, uh, the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit can be talked about in a couple of ways. So follow, follow along with me here. We'll, we'll set this up and then I'll have some application for us from Ephesians 5. The first thing we see is that the Holy Spirit can be a, a point in time filling. There can be a filling for a specific role or responsibility. You see this with Peter in Acts. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and then he was able to speak the word of God to that group of people that was gathered. So maybe... Maybe the Lord would be doing that kind of thing in our lives in particular points where we really need strength and the Holy Spirit would fill us. We see a description of a certain type of believer as well. The deacons in Acts 6 are described as those who were full of the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Boy, what a challenge for 
uh, all of us serving as church officers here, deacons, elders. This thing reminds us that the, the people in the scriptures who were serving those roles were people noticed and would have described them as somebody who was full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, again, not just in some showy outward way, but internally, deeply changed by the Spirit of God. And then Acts 13:52, it describes the disciples as uh, there's a continuing work that the Spirit is doing. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians 5 with me, and I think it's going to have some really good application for us about these things. So uh, turn back in your Bible to there, even if you've kind of set it up after we finished reading. Ephesians chapter 5. Again, we saw in verse 15, it says, you know, look carefully then how you walk. That's, you know, our life. What is, how's your walk going? How's your life going in, in the faith is the idea there. And it talks about how we use our time, how we use our lives. It says, don't be foolish. Verse 17, understand what the will of the Lord is. And we've talked about this in other weeks, you know. We all say, man, I wish I knew what the Lord's will was for me. Here you got something that's going to tell, tell us what the will of the Lord is. Well, what is it? It gives us a contrast against uh, of different things that we can fill ourselves with. And in this case, it points out uh, alcohol or substance uh, abuse, I guess you would put it. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. That's one side of things. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's, it basically says this, you know, most of it, we're going to choose to be filled with something. And we all choose, as one of my uh, fellow pastors says, we all medicate. We all figure out some way to get through life, whatever it is. He's talking about folks that are either, I assume, using too much alcohol on occasion or using alcohol to be able to get through, you know, every day. Not as maybe something to enjoy uh, occasionally for pleasure, but they, they, they've got to rely on it to, to, uh, to really live. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but instead be what? Be filled with the Spirit. So we're invited to to do that. And a couple of things I see here, that contrast between dissipation, a life of uselessness, and a life of usefulness that's given there. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to be doing things. That doesn't mean you're at church every moment. That doesn't mean you do 18 different things for the church. It may mean you just go and build a relationship with your neighbor. It may mean you just do your work and your job really well for God's glory. It may mean you're dealing with a family situation and you do it in a biblical way. It could mean a collage of things, but the emphasis of your life and my life is going to be kingdom usefulness. I'm here for God's purposes. I'm filled with this outside power to be able to do that. And then the other contrast is empty worldliness versus fulfilling godliness. The, the wine flows through you. you know, it goes on through and the fullness of the Spirit comes in and really fills us up for a godliness. Look at these, uh, this verse 18 and see some of the things that are here just in that one verse. It, uh, it gives us a command. It says, be filled. Not a suggestion. Not, hey, if you want to be some part of an elite class of Christian, then you might you know, pursue this. It says for all of us, everyone, every believer ought to be seeking to be filled. So it's a command. The second thing is you can't, it doesn't come out in the English language, but in the original language, it's plural, right? It's for everybody. All of us are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The third thing 
It's in what they call the present tense. My boys were complaining the other day about having to learn English grammar stuff at school. And what difference does it make if you know what an adverb is or an adjective is, as long as the sentence makes sense? And I hate to say it, but I agree a little bit. (laughs) But it does come in handy sometimes. Present tense. Present tense is this. Keep on being filled. That's really important. Because that tense is important in this verse because it reminds us that this isn't just something we one time. Oh, all of a sudden I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I don't have to mess with it anymore. And I'm all perfect now or I've spoken in tongues now. And so I'm good to go. Filling the Holy Spirit's an ongoing process. And then it's in the passive voice. So it's a command. We've got to do it. We are invited to keeping on doing it. But listen to how it's worded. It's be filled, which means somebody else has got to help you do it. We can't do it all on our own. The Holy Spirit's. Got to pour himself into us. We're dependent upon his moving and his working. Well, where are you today? Uh, probably folks here that have never maybe heard about or thought about the phrase, the filling of the spirit. New idea, new concept. Let me invite you to, to look at some of what we talked about today and to take a step in that direction to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Others of us here probably familiar with the idea, even know, yeah, I've, maybe even have points in your life where you feel like, oh, I was I was really seeking to be filled up with the Lord and with the spirit. And, and yet in the last few weeks and months and maybe years, not really a significant pursuit for us. Maybe others here that, you know, have some ideas about the Holy Spirit, but those ideas aren't necessarily rooted in uh, solid biblical teaching about all that the Spirit does for us to bring about our salvation. Okay? I love that uh, picture in the King's speech of Lionel coming alongside and really blessing that king to enable him to do what he didn't really even realize he could do to overcome those impediments. What a picture for what the Spirit can do for you and me If we would seek to be filled with him. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word, especially its teaching on the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, we desire not just individually, but collectively as a church body to be filled with you. Uh, Lord, we don't want to try to do any of the stuff we're doing of reaching out to our neighbors or developing uh, ministries for our young people, uh, having a word preach what I'm doing up here each Sunday, uh, serving in various ministries in our community, uh, supporting missions. We don't want to be doing these things uh, just because they're commanded or directed by you, although that's good. We want to do them, Lord, as an outflow of your spirit at work in us, that your light would shine to those around us and they would see those good things and praise you, our father. So, Lord, let us be marked as people, as a church body that folks would say are full of the Holy Spirit. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen.